You're listening to Dots, Lines, and Destinations, a travel podcast with host Stephen Seagraves, Fosma Moon, and Seth Miller. Hello, and welcome to episode 384 of Dots, Lines, and Destinations. I'm Stephen Seagraves, joined by the usual cast of characters, Seth Miller and Fosma Moon. Gentlemen. Hello. How you doing? I'm a little under the weather. I've taken three COVID tests, all negative over multiple days, but I guess it's just... Tough. There's just colds now going around, you know. Yeah, it turns cold. out you can be sick and not have COVID. Yeah, I know. It's one of those. Ter- it's either it, is it is it uh, allergies, COVID, or something else? <laughs> like that's the question. Um, uh, we got some follow up from last week uh, about the triple seven X. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a lot going on in the triple seven X world uh, these days. One of the real interesting comments. Uh, there's a aircraft leasing conferences going on in Dublin right now, and Dublin being basically the center of the aircraft leasing world in many ways because of their laws being favorable to it. But uh, Udvar Hazy, Steve Udvar Hazy, who's the guy, you know, the National Air and Space Museum is named for and various other things, but, you know, sort of legendary in the industry, sort of has posited that the 777X project is unstable at best and, like, could be canceled. When asked about it on stage, he basically said, well, the current board of directors probably won't make that decision, but the next one will. And... What I can't figure out is he's sort of, you know, kicking the can down the road 18 to 24 months. That's around when, like, the testing should be really, really done and getting ready to start production, manufacturing, and deliveries. And that seems like a real bad time to change your mind. Like, if you're going to pull the plug, pull the plug. What would you pull the plug for? I guess that's part of the question. Well, sure, there's nothing else. Yeah. It's just start, you know, could you start making more of the existing triple sevens. Sure. But no one's going to buy them except people can't get three fifties, which are going to be more fuel efficient and, and, but the, and, but the three fifty really isn't a replacement for the triple sevens replacement for it's between the, uh, triple seven and seven, six. No, from a capacity standpoint. Um, the three fifty dash 1000 is pretty damn big, but I thought even that was may, might be able to replace a 200, but not the 300. Yeah, I think you're probably the, right. I think the uh, the bulk of the orders these days are 300s, right? No one's really buying 200s, right? Except the uh, dedicated freighters. But yeah, um, no, yeah, you they do stagger sort of what fits where between the two between Airbus and Boeing, so that so so that no one can do a direct comparison, mm. right? You're right about that, but at some point the and especially like the triple seven X was bigger than the 300 ER. It was supposed to have bigger capacity, more passengers, longer range, those cute folding wing tips, all that fun stuff. So do they bring back the seven four? You know, the, the line is still running the seven, four eights. I mean, could, could you imagine like trying to give Lufthansa seven, four eights instead of triple seven X's? I mean, is that, is of that anybody a- Lufthansa might take them because they've at least got the fleet, but mm-hmm. But is that a way, right? Like you've, um, they did with United and the triple seven three hundreds. Does Boeing just continue to make some more seven four frames and give them uh, to satisfy the immediate demand or the short term demand? Well, so at least with Lufthansa, Boeing is going with seven eighty seven dash nines, or Lufthansa has chosen to and accepted seven eighty seven dash nines to to cover the immediate demand. And that came out, that news came out Monday afternoon. There's a new order. And it was sort of originally, like, I guess last week, Lufthansa in its earnings call was like, yeah, we're trying to figure out how we're going to cover for this shortfall. Maybe we bring out the 346s more. Maybe even the 380s will come out of, you know, out of retirement and do some service. And 
trying to figure out what all those options are. And then Monday afternoon announced a new order with seven more 787-9s and then some freighters. Uh, Seven 777X freighters, three regular classic 777 freighters, and extending the leases on two uh, existing freighters in the fleet. Is Sorry, like, is there a reason you think they went with 787-9s instead of like a a 77W? That's a very good question. I'm not sure what the Boeing production line looks like in terms of being able to produce passenger 777s anymore. Okay. So I'm just, I'm just thinking. Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, from a capacity standpoint. And like from cross, like cross fleeting, right? With like Swiss and stuff because they're all integrated now. Well, Kind of. If you say so. Um, and right, so that's one of the questions is, right, Lufthansa directly doesn't operate the 777, but it does plan to operate 787-9, so maybe that makes sense. But it already has orders for 20 that it bought with Rolls-Royce engines, and then it the second follow-on order was five more with Trent engines, which were uh, old H&A planes that were not – they were white tails, so they were built for H&A but not delivered. Um, and they're accelerating the delivery of other 787s, which is cool, except don't forget that it's been a year since Boeing's delivered a 787. And no one's, I mean, American thinks they're getting a plane at the end of June, but like no one's actually sure when the FAA, excuse me, the FAA is going to let Boeing start delivering planes again or how fast they're going to be able to deliver. So they're not delivering anything? They haven't since last May. Wow. Yeah. It's insane. Where are they parking all these? Charleston. They've, they've slowed production. They've slowed production a lot too. Um, remember, right? They shut down the they shut down the line in Everett. Right, but is there that much space in Charleston? I don't remember there being that much space when I flew there. On the back side of the factory, there was. I mean, I was there a month or two ago, and there were like a dozen lined up, probably, which is clearly not all of them. I don't know where they're parking all of them, but there's a bunch in Charleston, including a Lufthansa one. So. It's it's uh it's not good for Boeing in general. No, and like. You know, the, the Udvar Hazy quote is crazy, you know, is his comment about like, we'll have to see what the next uh, board decides to do. Like, is he planning to stage a coup and vote out members of the board? Is he even a shareholder who can? I don't know. But the um, his cohort, um, trying to pull up the quote here to get it right. Um, John Pluger, who is the CEO, quote, one has to question a little bit this 777X program and its viability, end quote. Like that's not what you want the one of the largest leasing companies in the world saying about your product. I yeah, I mean, is he? My question is, is he pulling like an Elon Musk on Twitter for Boeing? Like trying to drive the price down so he can buy him? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of what it, it kind of reads that way. <clears throat> I mean, they've said he. They also said during the conference that the reason they haven't bought uh, the freighters is because they don't trust that. Basically, they don't trust that Boeing's going to deliver them. Meantime, Lufthansa has added seven 777X freighters to its back order as well, but not deliveries till 2027 at the earliest. Wow. Wow. Oh, this is it's wild. Yeah. And so I, I'm all sorts of confused. Also, the seven uh, 787s that Lufthansa says it's taking are aircraft that another airline uh, canceled. So they're sort of white tails, but they're not going to be delivered till 2025 and 2026, <laughs> which, oh, by the way, is when the 777X is, in theory, going to start to get delivered. And so that makes me think that they're like delivery slots that were previously allocated that, that whatever airline years down the line has decided to walk away from. I don't know, maybe Eddie Hodds had some or something like that, although I don't think they walked away from 787 orders. 
Uh, so some, but something like that where it's they're they're white tails, but they're not built yet. Did Cathay have any seven eights on order? I don't think so, but I don't know. I'm I'm curious. Is is this a good time to start an, uh, an aircraft manufacturing company? Has it ever been a good time to start an aircraft manufacturing company? I mean, now it seems like better than ever. Because Boeing's on the ropes? Yeah, and, and Airbus isn't great. I mean, you could also be an you know an engine manufacturer. Probably do pretty well. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I'm, there were those crazy guys in Alabama that wanted to build the like carbon fiber, no windows, crazy-ass triple-wing plane. Yeah, you invest in them, Stephen. There you go. Come up with something useful, boys, and then we'll talk. <laughs> nah, because they're going to put the fuel bladders in the ceiling, so if it crashes, it can't catch on fire. It's going to be great. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Wait, yeah. how does that work? <laughs> how are you not top-heavy, then, where you're more likely to roll over? <laughs> no, because there's three wings. It's okay. Hmm. And they stick straight out. There's no sweep angle. You're making, you're making Foz's head hurt. I swear I had a phone call with the guy to discuss what they were actually doing. And he's like, no, 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 the guy, they, we got the engineering. It's cool. I'm like, but really? He's like, yeah. You should ask where they got their engineering degrees from. Well, he's got one guy who's like sort of the engineer and patented some shit. It's sort you know, of the engineer. <laughs> the famous last words. I'm sort of a pilot. Uh, <laughs> Let's not go there. That's a different. They, they, they just stayed. They just stayed at Holiday Inn Express the night before. Yeah, <laughs> was he working for Virgin Atlantic and turned around just past Ireland? <laughs> so should we talk about that really quick, or do you want to save that for another time? Uh, we can talk about it. So the way I understand the story is that the FO on this Virgin Atlantic flight, like, was people are saying he wasn't certified, but it's not really the case at all, right? Oh, he. He could not legally operate the flight for which he was sitting in the right seat of the flight deck. Yeah. And Virgin Virgin Atlantic scheduled him on the flight. Yeah. He was like, he was missing a sim training or something like his, his, one of the recurrent training things slipped and he missed his slot, but they scheduled him and he flew and he didn't realize it either and got on board. So both screwed up. I, uh, I mean, I work in an industry where, you know, your qualifications are very important to you being able to do certain types of work. And uh, that would not fly, literally. So, well, he did it. Wild. Well, he well, did. He, he, he did for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, they made it sound like this huge thing. Like the guy well, didn't know how to fly no. plane. The yeah. Daily Mail made it sound like a huge thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course. No one in reality made it sound like a huge thing, other than like it was, you know, unfortunate. But yeah. Let's let's talk about some more Lufthansa stuff. So we'll talk about this briefly. I think it's been kind of covered in detail other places on the internet, uh, but Lufthansa. Uh, in a in a poor in a poor form, kicked off all or did not allow a whole group of Hasidic Jews to board a flight from Frankfurt to Budapest after mask issues with maybe one or two Hasidic Jews on the flight from JFK to Frankfurt uh, because masks are required on Lufthansa flights. And uh, the handling of it by the Lufthansa agents, I mean, they they brought the police in way way over kill for this. Armed police, no, no less, uh, and then just told people uh, the actions of of one uh, constitute the removal of many, and in this case, the many was based on how you look. So there were people who weren't even part of these tour groups, who were Hasidic Jews, who also were not allowed to board the connecting flight. It's not a good look for Lufthansa. No, and uh, I mean we've talked about the Hasidic community on here before causing. Some issues on flights out of Newark, some on 
uh, which this was, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was, I think this was JFK. Or JFK was four hundred one. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, in flights on uh, LL and things like that too. Yeah, but. like won't sit next to people. Mm-hmm. Like, but it's funny as I actually now that I think about it, randomly I was out grocery shopping the day that this happened. Yeah, I saw that plane fly overhead, <laughs> and no, like I noticed it. Which uh, there's a lot of planes to go ahead, but that was one where like I was in the parking lot, I was like, oh, what is that? And flight radar and whatever, and did my thing. But it's like, oh, it's the 401 headed to, back to Frankfurt. It was the early flight. It was weird timing. Like it crosses over New Hampshire at five o'clock. Yeah. So it's like one of the first flights that's going back eastbound. Um, that's about the only value I can add to this conversation. I think I saw it that morning, that evening before yeah. the shit show happened. I, I think I think Lufthansa's handling of it just was poor. It'll be interesting to see what their internal investigation. Uh, shows up, but they basically banned these passengers for flying for for twenty four hours. Uh, it's heavy handed for sure. I mean, if there had been a flight from you know Africa, would they have just said no black people on connecting flights like that? That would have been in, insane. So, uh, not not a good look. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's talk about uh, Orlando to Charleston. It's this is bizarre. So. God, was it two weeks ago now? Because we didn't get to this in last week's episode because we were talking with Flighty. Um, Avello announced that they were going to fly Orlando to Charleston, and this was sort of right before they announced that they were going to establish a base in Orlando, which they are, which is a whole different level of insane. Uh, but uh, then, same day, Breeze announced that it was going to fly Orlando to Charleston. Silver Airways already does on a prop... I think it's an ATR twice a week. We're going from something like 80 seats a week to 1200 <laughs> in the market. And like, I get new airlines induced demand, low fares, blah, 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 blah. But like a, if you're silver airways, do you even stick around? No. Okay. I agree. Um, but like you spent so long trying to build this market and then these other guys show up with jets and they're like, ha sucker and push you out. Like, uh, Breeze defending its Charleston, essentially it's their largest hub at this point, our largest base, defending Charleston within hours of Avello announcing services is kind of crazy. And then Avello putting a base in Orlando, which its other bases are Burbank and New Haven. And Burbank, it's, I don't want to say it owns the airport, but it's one of the largest by destinations and surprisingly decent number of seats, all things considered, for as small and as young as it is. In New Haven, it does own the airport, more or less, right? They're the, only, the American still has a couple of flights a day, but like Avello is New Haven at this point and is helping fund the new terminal build. And then Orlando, which like, okay, infinite demand if you keep prices low enough, but also... Airfare isn't the only cost of a vacation and hotels and rental cars and restaurants and theme parks are much more expensive than they used to be. So do you think they're putting all their eggs in one basket on, on, on Orlando? Not all in one basket, but I, I am curious how well the sort of infinite demand to Florida story holds a, when other airlines can compete and you know, you'll have non available, have more non-stops I would assume than sort of everybody else. But Right, like Delta used to have a sort of a mini hub in Orlando and decided it wasn't profitable and pulled out. People have done that before. Wasn't that Delta Express? Which the first word is Delta. I mean, mean, yeah, I mean, they called it something. Yes, I think that was like in the 90s. And it's okay. And it was 737 200s. And I'm old enough to remember it. What are we saying here? 
Nothing. I remember. <laughs> I think I think Foz's point is is like that was a long time ago. Has the market no, changed? Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. no, it's fair. Has the market changed? The, I I just I wonder about the infinite demand of Florida thing. Right between the Northeast and Florida, I get it, sort of, and it's mostly working out. But like, where else is Avello gonna run from Orlando? That Spirit or Frontier or JetBlue or a Legion out of Sanford isn't already flying and able to serve much more efficiently. Does Does Avello have any of the uh, uh, like contracts with hotels or anything? Kind of like Allegiant does, or do they not do any of that? Like vacation packages? Yeah. I don't know. I haven't seen anything. Certainly not nearly as strong as Allegiance if yeah, yeah. it has any. But I mean, I have to assume that they have some ability to sell some packages, but it's nothing nearly that strong. I mean, I, what's interesting to me is like American runs San Francisco or Austin to Tampa, right? Like, yeah, use, they, they're using Austin as kind of this weird mini hub. Yep. And it seems to make sense from an outside airport perspective, right? Like, not using something within Florida, but flying to a bunch of places in Florida, like that makes sense to me. But being in Orlando and saying you're going to, I don't, I just, I, like you said, I don't know where you're going to fly, especially on 737, 800s, and 900s, which is what they have. Sevens and eights, but yeah. Sevens and eights, sorry. Um, like where you're going to get the economy unless you fill the plane every time. You yeah, know what it, I mean? Listen, when, we, when we did that trip out in California, right? We did Burbank to Santa Rosa, like our, our outbound 80%, was 80%. Yeah. No, the outbound was not even. We like you, me, and Steve each had our own row, right? That's true. Yeah. Well, I had people next to me, but yeah. Did you? Okay, I didn't. Uh, sucker. Uh, but the return was like ninety-eight percent full. Yeah. So, like, I mean, average is out and whatever, but like, I just, I wonder what markets again they can pick that there isn't one of the other four airlines that are also low-cost carriers operating out of the Orlando area that can fill. Yeah. Right. Like the whole point of these two upstarts and, you know, uh, Breeze is doing it in Provo too, which we can talk about in a sec as is Allegiant, just adding stuff there. But like the whole point is to not be competing against other people and finding the point to point routes where others aren't. And I'm, I'm really, really curious what Avello thinks or it can do in Orlando that spirit and frontier and Allegiant haven't. And I throw JetBlue in there for, Silly reasons because you know they claim to be a low cost carrier or, or sort of whatever have a base they have a base in Orlando at least. So could the, I mean could this just be the I mean I'm positing theorizing here could this be like they're getting ready to announce something maybe in the Midwest or in the, the middle of the country and this will be kind of how they move planes across the country because they're going to have to right? Yeah, I mean like that, I that's a fair point. Um, do they have to? They've done some lately with charter. They do charter flights a lot. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, and like, I want to say for uh, New Haven, they've focused on almost exclusively on using the 700s there for flight takeoff performance reasons because it's a short runway. Yeah. So they don't necessarily need to move crew back and planes back and forth, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. sort of the Allegiant yep. model of we have a crew here, we have an airplane here, this is the operation. Out and back, out and back, out and back. Yeah. Yep. I mean, like, Allegiant doesn't even do overnights. Yeah. For crew. It's so. a good point. Um, hmm. But I have to assume Avello is, and Breeze also are sort of targeting that to start. I mean, it keeps your costs down in some ways. You're not, you're not dealing with putting staff up and per diems and all that. So Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm trying to think, like, what are, what's the game plan? Because if you're trying, I mean, like you said, like you're trying to compete with, let's say, Breeze out of Charleston. Breeze is going to probably beat you on connecting traffic 
And well, so Breeze technically doesn't have connections, although they have this new Breeze through. Yeah, thing. that's kind of what I want to talk about. That's where I was going. Yeah, and I don't know how much they'll connect down to Orlando, but like Avello came with three or four times weekly, and Breeze is like, yeah, we can do it daily. And Breeze is doing it with a E190 or 195, so it's 110 seats instead of 160. But it's still a lot of seats for a week. Yeah. And, you know, maybe on the days that Avello is flying, it can vaguely compete, but it's not going to own the market. And people are going to have the additional flexibility of more days of week service from Breeze. I don't know. So real quick, because I was looking at an overhead view, there are 26 787s currently parked at Charleston on Google Maps, okay. with, with two of those being on a taxiway that's not used. So it's pretty much full. Yeah. I mean, that's not enough. I mean, right, there's no space then for any more, and they're still producing like three or four a month, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. So I got to put them somewhere. Who knows where that's going? But I wonder yeah, if it's Greens- I, Greensboro. I guess you could put them in Greensboro, yeah. Got a paint shop there? Sort of the Portland of the East Coast. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know, Seth. Like this is—it's a weird thing for me. I—I I, just—I get. I—I I, I understood Burbank. I understood New Haven. I understood the Breeze hubs or bases, whatever. I don't understand Orlando as a hub or as a base for an upstart. I don't get it. But I'm also, you know, not a guy who's been a successful airline CFO for a couple decades and then decided to start his own. So what do I know? I mean, could it be related to what's going on with airfares and all the existing carriers, right? Airfares are ridiculously high. Do they think they can come in and undercut the airfares? Sure. And I mean, that's part of the market. That's part of their play is right. Undercut and find underserved nonstop markets. But I'm struggling to come up with what the underserved, what underserved nonstop market is able to demonstrate sufficient demand that Allegiant or Frontier didn't already show up three days a week. Because Avello is, I mean, even more than Breeze, Avello is copying the Allegiant marketing play book step by step. And Breeze is doing a pretty good job of it, but it's doing some interesting other things. Avello is doing it basically 100%. Frontier, Frontier pretty much owns Terminal A, right? I don't remember who's where in Orlando anymore. It's been a while. Yeah, I, um, I think they do. I think they pretty much have the whole term. They like they super expanded over the last couple of years. It's now well, it was supposed to be their largest base this summer, even bigger than Denver operations, which historically were the biggest because that's where they're based. But uh, with the Florida ATC issues and whatnot, they actually scaled back a decent amount of the Florida operations to try to keep things moving. So we'll see. I mean, they've got all kinds of service out of yeah. They've got Atlanta. a ton of destinations, bunch moving into the Caribbean against Spirit and JetBlue. It's it's there's a lot going on there. Yeah, wow. So, and then there's Provo. Yeah, let's talk about Provo. <laughs> uh, Breeze added a base in Provo, San Francisco, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles nonstops, uh, and semi bizarre. They're Breeze through which is direct same plane service will go to white plains and San Bernardino. Uh, San Bernardino was announced the beginning of this year. And when it was announced, it was like a early morning flight from San Francisco down South and then a late evening flight back North. And that was enough to make me think that they were going to make San Bernardino a base. 
and they've since retimed the flight, so that didn't happen, which is unfortunate. But because uh, mostly for the entertainment value of trying to make a new airport that they will be the only commercial service at uh, into a base from the get go, sort of value it, <laughs> sort of value it, white planes. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, it's. I think the breeze through flights uh, aren't. Let me put that the Las Vegas and Los Angeles. I think are. Uh, going to be A220s, and then San Francisco will be the E190. Okay. okay. Um, and so what I'm trying to figure out now is, though, as a base, it'll pro- let's say, say it's an E190 base, so they'll fly Provo, San Francisco, San Bernardino, and back. That's sort of six, seven hours maybe of flight time, not even. Yeah. Right? So like that's one flight crew for a day, but it's really a base. they got to do other stuff there. And the unless they're planning on having somehow, I guess they can use it and have like pilots fly the Westbound via Las Vegas or Los Angeles and then up to Provo in this, in one day and then a different pilot and like the next day fly at home, except those flights aren't all daily. So I don't know how that's going to work back to white planes. Hmm. Um, there's some interesting crew scheduling stuff, but like you're flying transcons. You can't have the pilot fly the full round trip. The timing doesn't work. Yeah. So, okay. So let's, let's talk about this. So, the white plane flight is, is it the connection through San Francisco or is it through LAX? I believe it's through LA or Las Vegas. Gotcha. Okay. So you go Provo, Las Vegas or LA to white planes and then yeah. to get to San Bernardino, you go through San Francisco. Right. Which that's why San Francisco's an E90 and the others are A220s. Gotcha. Okay. That almost would make more sense to go Provo East coast. You use Provo as your connection point, but yes. what do I know about airlines? Because people are going to fly on the nonstops. No one's going to take the connection or the yeah. direct yeah. And then there's a legion that wants to fly to. This is good for you. They got Portland coming. I, I I'm looking forward to this because you know they're going to do Provo to Vegas, San Diego, PDX, and uh, what is that? SFB Orlando, Sanford. Yeah. Uh, I will fly down to Provo just to try Breeze out on a legion. <laughs> so. So you'll fly down a legion so you can take the Breeze flight to San Francisco. Uh, to San Bernardino. Oh, you'll take the direct, the yeah. Breeze through. Yeah, just to give it a shot. I got to do it once. Yeah, I mean, well, you have to connect, obviously. Or, well, of course. Or breeze, breeze through, as it were. But oh, yeah, so you go to San Francisco. I didn't realize it, but San Bernardino actually has three gates and a full terminal. Yeah, and it's unused. Yes, <laughs> they built it when we were so uh, Northern Pacific did its aircraft and their livery unveiling when like January, um, and I was down there for that or out there for that. They they did it at San Bernardino and like. I was with Cranky. We were driving out from the hotel to this event and like got lost a little bit in the parking or in the, like the roadways around the airport. We're like, Whoa, there's a terminal here. Yeah. It was like a crazy moment. And then I was, there was a terminal and it was fine and whatever, but it was super amusing. Yeah. So I mean, I'll be interested to try that out. Well, can't wait to hear about it. <laughs> um, you, I mean, are you surprised by Provo? I mean, it's a, it's definitely a smaller airport serving, you know, the South side of, Salt Lake City. Do you think they're going to get much traffic out of it? Um, I, I think that they've got a chance. I think it, right, the ski areas are north, right? Yeah, it's the wrong side for skiing. Yeah, north and east. I think so. So that might not be great, but I don't know. I, I, the only thing, the only reference I have for Provo is Ocean's Eleven. Oh yeah, the two brothers. The two brothers. <laughs> yeah. And they they try to come install. You should come out to Provo. I think Provo. Like it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. 
You could, I think you could do really well out there. I think you could do really yeah, It was like it the takes best. line. It's just a random, awkward reference to a city. But that's every time I come up with promo, that's all I got. And and it actually has a terminal now. You sent yes. me photos of this. Because I, I was like, what's the terminal situation? Yeah. Fancy, fancy new building. It actually looks really nice. It's sort of like uh, Everett. Looks, yeah, it looks sim- I was going to say it looks similar to Painfield. It's right on the lake. It's on Utah Lake. Uh, so, uh, I mean, it'll be worth I'll tr- I'll try it out and see how yeah. it goes. So. And there's, I mean, a fair, a fair bit of a population in Provo, right? An affluent population in Provo now. Oh yeah, yeah. A lot of, a lot of people yeah. from the Bay Area and stuff moved to Provo. So, I, I don't know. I, I'm wondering about that sort of midconish or transconda Orlando. How well that'll do it's in Sanford on Allegiant, like. But they'll I, do it I'll twice also, a week. <laughs> they will, and Allegiant makes a very good point of they've got a lot of people who fly them who are not necessarily searching for the absolute cheapest fare but are people who want a nonstop flight to their second home. Yeah. Right. Like snowboard population that goes back or sort of more than snowboard that goes back and forth a few times a year and nonstop saving two hours or four hours is worth whatever else. And putting up a collision, um, dealing with that experience. So the pitch and the whatever. So I wonder wonder how these airlines are going to adjust, you know, as, as the population gets, you know, the young population gets older, but the idea of a second home, you know, is just kind of, (laughs) <laughs> well the whole like i don't have a first home i still live with my parents so what do you mean a second home yeah exactly well, at, some point, at some point the parents are going to die so they're going to inherit the second homes well, well yeah this is true or or they get sold off as part of the estate you know because they yeah anyway i was trying to make a joke foz you killed it but i got it like you know if you how can you have a second home if you don't have a first home <laughs> it's like allegiant needs to change the marking a little bit yeah. uh, let's talk about sky club delta's changing the rules uh, there's a three hour limit now, uh, to access the sky clubs, uh, starting June 1st. You can only get in three hours before your flight. Yep. And no access on arrival unless you're coming in on Delta one, uh, which is ironic because they're also opening Delta one lounges. Yeah. In what JFK and LA, right? Yep. So, I mean, this, I mean, we've talked about my thoughts on lounges probably multiple times on here, but part of the beauty of a lounge on arrival is getting a shower, uh, even on, Transcon when you're in coach, it's it's just a nice thing. So that sucks. So is this another reason to buy throwaway tickets now? Are they encouraging that? <laughs> if you want to get or full, fully refund, no, they're encouraging fully refundable tickets that get canceled. It's not even throwaway ticketing. Well, no, but if you buy a throwaway now, you can justify it for the lounge access. <laughs> I don't know if you can find a cheap enough seat anymore, but yeah, I mean, right, like, the, yeah, one of my someone I inter- know on Twitter and interact with regularly is noting, and it's something I've done before too. It's like. I've got the 6 p.m. flight. I don't want to sit in rush hour traffic. I've got a two-hour break midday. You know, back when I lived in New York City, I would go out early and sit in the lounge and take calls for three hours and then get on the, or four hours and then get on a plane, right? Like, I might have the 6 p.m. flight, but I'd leave at 10 or at noon, yep. work from the airport. I remember, like, they used to advertise lounges as somewhere to work. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I used to do it here, too. I mean, I still do it if, if I have, like, a midday flight here. I'll go to the yeah. airport early and work from the lounge and then just get on the flight because it's easier it's like I, I know when i can get on a car i can get to the airport early and not have to worry about anything and take my calls from the airport yeah. that's the, that's the benefit for me i wonder what if the rules change if you rent a conference room yeah but then you gotta rent a conference room that's stupid and they're not cheap and they're hourly and you can rent one for like the first hour eight hours before your flight and then just go like just slip into the rest of the regular lounge part afterwards yeah I mean, the the problem here, right, the real problem is, is this is from pimping the credit cards out too much. 
It, right. it really, I mean, it, you're not wrong. Yeah, this yeah. is just, they've sold too many of the credit cards with the lounge membership, and they haven't built the lounge inventory up to be able to support that need. And can't, because the physical constraints of an airport are not so flexible. I mean, look, United built lounges in the basement of Dallas. You'll find space if you want. <laughs> eh, Dallas had. I wouldn't. I wouldn't call those lounges. I mean, I would say they were, you know, sitting areas with food. <laughs> Fair, but I mean, I, I, the next iteration of this is going to be like multiple tiers of lounges, right? Like, or lounge access, yeah, like similar to what uh, Lefty does. Yep. Right. Oh, you're, you're a credit your, card holder. You get the crappier lounge. You get the business lounge, not the senator lounge. Exactly. I mean, this already is that for uh, Delta One or Polaris or flagship. Yeah, but not by not by uh, not free everyday flights, right? Those are only the international. You're talking yeah. about like United Club access yeah. based on which credit cards you have or what status you have. Yeah, United yeah. Club, United Elite Club. Which one yeah. do you want to be in? Yeah. One has prepackaged snacks. One has open snacks. Yeah. Ooh, someone peeled the plastic off for me. That's amazing. <laughs> but which one has the Doritos? <laughs> I mean, I, I do think you're right, Foz. Like they, they've kind of created this problem themselves, and and they've tried to dig their way out of it by like raising the cost of the cards, right? Like making the annual fee uh, less uh, appealing to people, you know, higher. But but again, but it hasn't they're, worked. They're taking a blanket approach, there, right? They're raising the fee for everybody. They're not raising like you want. You should. They should want to entice their elites because they're more likely to hold the card. And, you know, have a discounted fee, but they don't. They're just raising the fees across the board. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Seems like a bad, it's a bad move by Delta, but. And it's a bad situation. Yeah. But it's a situation they've created themselves and they're refusing to fix. No, they are fixing it. They're not letting you in. Well, that defeats the purpose. (laughs) It's one version of fixed. Fair. I mean, I wonder. I wonder. I wonder what the the rule, the conditions say. I mean, I'm sure they have legal people looking at this, but what the rules say about the credit card? I, I mean, the way to send the message is dump the credit card in mass, right? And Delta would get the message, but you're not going to convince people to do that. No, because most of the people who have it use it a couple times a year, and it doesn't like. And honestly, I think the the irony is like the number of people this affects is probably very low. Yeah, and obviously Delta has some real data, but like. This isn't our friend who used to go to the President's Club or the no, United Club at DCA on his way home four times a week for free beer. I would argue that if it was that small of a population, they wouldn't be going after it. Yeah. So it is it is a sizable enough contingent that they are doing this. Maybe maybe it's because people are getting you know, like just smashed before flights and then refusing to wear a mask. Oh, so now you're gonna compress them getting smashed into three hours instead of six? <laughs> Let me know how Game that on. You. I got yeah. this. Yeah. Bring it. Let me know how this one works out. Yeah. It's a whole new, whole new uh, version of Hold My Beer. Steve there's, there's, there's a video. I got to find it. There's a video of a guy that it's, it's from a TV show. And I don't even know what it's from, but he basically carries around a, a breathalyzer and he keeps himself. He's like, I, I, I only drink a little bit and I keep myself at 0. 0.10 all day long. <laughs> oh, that's what we need to put with this. Steady. Oh, <laughs> Let's talk about Airbus. They're uh, boosting production, and there's a delay with the uh, A321 XLRs. So mixed news out of their earnings call last week or the week before now. Uh, they want to get to 75 single aisle per month, uh, 320 family single aisle. I forget that the 220 also. But 320 family, which is basically 321s, by 2025. That's a lot of planes. It's a lot of planes. 
uh, but also the XLR rolled out a paint shop this week or last, I guess last week now, um, some pretty pictures of it, but it's uh, due to some additional testing requirements and certification requirements. They're now expecting uh, aircraft or uh, airline deliveries will be three-ish months delayed. So it's only three months right now, which, you know, mm-hmm. compared to Boeing still looks like it's early, but the uh, the testing is related to the, because they put a fuel tank in the back half of the tail. It's they have to make it safe enough that if the tail ruptures, it doesn't like catch fire and burn through the floor of the passenger cabin and burn the people sitting back there. Hmm. Essentially, I didn't realize it, but that'd be a good thing to prevent. Yeah. So I, I didn't actually didn't realize that that's how they were extending the range. Yeah, it's an extra half tank. Yeah, or tank. So. Um, Avianca is going to buy Viva Aerobus. Not Viva Aerobus. Viva Aerobus is the Mexican Mexican one that Allegiant's trying to set up a joint venture with. Oh, okay. Sorry. This is just Viva. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's not a Neilman airline, so it's not blue, but they all have life in them. Um, okay, gotcha. It's a Viva Colombia and Viva Peru, and so the biggest Colombian airline, Avianca, fresh out of its bankruptcy, is trying to buy out its largest competitor, Viva. And has indicated that it's going to be good for consumers because it will guarantee that with lower costs and, you know, sort of consolidation and all those efficiencies of operations that passengers will have two airlines to choose from. Oh, really? Because, you know, they're owned by the same company and they're definitely going to keep competing with each other and keep fares low and make sure that I just like the amount of bullshit being piled into that story is kind of amazing. I, I love that it's like right after their bankruptcy, like right after coming out of bankruptcy. Let's play go with buy house some money. <laughs> so, absolutely, you play with house money. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Um, what's the what's this story, Seth? You sent something about variability in companion benefits from different elite status programs. So, this was sort of something that one of our listeners asked about and sort of mentioned you know, mentioned us in. They were in London. At, with their Lufthansa status, they were allowed access to the priority screening line, mm-hmm. but their companion wasn't. Sounds about right for London. But they both got access to the lounge, which is cool. Okay. Um, and, you know, all's well that ends well. They made their flight. Everything was fine. But it was one of those weird, like, depending on the airline and the elite status, like, what does your companion get is can be... an a strange challenge that a couple weeks ago, I guess it's last month, been a month now coming up when I was supposed to come home from Florida on spirit. I have elite status on spirit Mm -hmm. and I'm spirit gold. They gave it to me when they launched the new program. Um, I've still never been able to fly using it for a variety of reasons, including them canceling flights. But putting that aside, when I bought the tickets, some like my companion doesn't get free bags, but I do. (laughs) So I get one checked and one carry on free. And so we, managed to pack that we would have two bags, both of which would be mine. I would have one checked and one carry on. Right. That's goofy. Yeah. And so, but like even JetBlue lets your companion have your bag allowance and most, most others do. Um, the spirit has a weird function of like, you get free change fees mm-hmm. on, uh, if you have the status, but that's per PNR and your companion doesn't. So best I can tell is if I wanted to have that benefit, I still had to pay for hers. How does it? How does it do that though? I get because it's a per PNR change fee waiver. But wouldn't yeah. her PNR be the same? 
It was, but she doesn't get that benefit for free. So if I wanted it, I had to pay so that we both had it marked. Well, that, that's goofy. And same for, uh, I get free seat assignments, but she didn't. <laughs> so it, there's, there's weird things like, and like, obviously, and priority, sc- I think I would assume the priority screening and whatever would have been the same or boarding, like all of those things, except that at that point she had a paid seat assignment. So she got the priority, like, and maybe I could have not paid for all those things, but. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I, I I ran into something with Lufthansa with my United status with my wife. Yeah, where where we were connecting, and I had a you know I have elite status, and when we were boarding the next flight, they like stopped her and weren't going to let her board. And I think it was maybe because of the something that you're saying, like she, she was in zone one or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, well, she's with me, and they're like, okay, fine. Yeah, and, you know, it was it was kind of a goofy. It, we kind of looked at each other like well, we've always done it this way in the United States or whatever, but. Anyway, that's yeah, that's weird. The security thing, though, I'm not surprised. Like half the time when I go through with elite status in London, they don't even let me use the priority line. So whatever. <laughs> yeah, and but remember the airlines pay a lot in the UK or in Europe for access to those elite lines, priority lines. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I've had problems, Foss. Huh. Yeah. At the at T two. Mostly never had a single problem. So. Um, maybe they're on to you. They might be, or maybe I'm just paranoid. Um, <laughs> I'm glad someone got that. Doesn't mean they're not really after you. I think I think that's uh, I think that's it, boys. We got some uh, Air France stuff to discuss on the bonus show, and Turkish uh, and Egypt and a UK just, craziness. Yeah, just a, just a lot. So uh, if you're a Patreon subscriber, stay tuned for that. If you're not and would like to become one, you can sign up on Patreon. Uh, but yeah, we'll talk to you next time. Happy travels. Take care. Catch you later.